0: Hey guys, uh, I'm Robert. And I'm Christian. And uh, this is the Rightish Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us this week. And yes, we have come up with a name, which is good. Finally. Yeah, finally. That's important. Uh, a lot of things to talk about. So, to start, um, Christian, would you like to tell us about uh, yes. an upcoming event yes. you got going on?
1: So, um, so, there is, I think on February 5th, there's going to be a debate about capitalism that I'm going to be spearheading. Against a fellow student at Mercer University called David Stokes, and the resolution goes something like, um, "Resolved: Capitalism is the most uh, efficient, benevolent, and efficient economics ever conceived by man." Uh, essentially, I'm am I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to state a coherent uh, sort of uh, case for the capitalist system, one that is not necessarily and solely rely on materialism and statistics, but that the fact that capitalism is sort of the nexus in the in, in the nectar in the in, in the chalice of 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 humanity's ability to actualize its spiritual potential right so i think oftentimes folks view capitalism as a purely physical system that just involves money but capitalism also it, it capitalism money is merely the medium by which capitalism does its thing and the medium is not the, is, is not not the entire object it may not even be the object itself. So the object is capitalism, and capitalism itself is merely a pragmatic and a practical way to uh, m- manifest very abstract concepts and ideals like individualism or voluntarism or uh, you know exchange or property. These things are, uh, I think, would, are inherently abstract, and they have been sort of rooted into the earth, so to speak. They've been sort of grounded into reality by an acknowledgement of the capitalist system and by the inner workings of the capitalist system. So I'm hoping to be able to argue that and argue that all the way home, and I'm hoping to be able to argue that capitalism also, outside of those particular things, those sort of precepts, acts as you know a sort a a, a a sort of a sort of almost soapbox for individuals to manifest their dreams and their hopes as well. Right? and so we see we see with the, especially the digital economy, we see that capitalism has manifested in so many ways. We see folks like Lil Nas X, who literally just had like a twenty four week single only to be stopped only to be uncharted from its dominance by Billie Eilish, who's also in her own right a, an anom- anomaly, brilliant. I mean, like in, in in her teens, she's already one of the biggest music stars of the century, and you, you you've just seen. This incredible transformation of folks who were not expected or not even in the same group or category uh, of folks who you would think would be successful or immensely imminent or prominent. You're just seeing capitalism allowing them to exert, exert their gifts into the, into the world and blossom as individuals. So capitalism not only is it the chalice of things unseen, it's also the evidence of things that are inherently true and seen so that is what i'm hoping to argue and you know what I, I i really look forward to seeing what my opponent has to say about it i i, I certainly hope he's not going to default to marxian uh, default to marxian tactics that would be foolish i certainly hope that he's not going to try to th- try to um drum up old sentiment against capitalism made by emma goldman or marx so on and so forth that would also be foolish i hope that he Find a system that is much better for human poten- for the for the cultivation and or the exertment of uh, exert, exertment of human potential and freedom than capitalism is because you cannot do that. So yeah.
0: So basically, the the argument you'd be concerned about is probably just some ob- obscure economic system that, that worked really well. Um. So that that'd be basically like what you're sure. most worried about. Sure. Sure. I mean, sure. But
1: then you would also have to say that that economic system is can be number one replicable. Like can you replicate it again these days? And, 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 and number two, does it have the same – But when I say capitalism is benevolent, you've got you you to prove two parts of the resolution. You've to see, prove that it is efficient and benevolent. So let's talk about the efficiency standard first. If this obscure system is not replicable, then there's no possible way we can say that it's efficient.
0: Right.
1: If this obscure system, number one, also is not conducive to humans to to, to the valuation of human freedom and, uh, on the basis of volunteerism, then it's not benevolent either. It's, it's malevolent. Right. So, I mean, even if you bring up an obscure system, we, we're going to have to look at that system very closely. And if I don't even, if, even if I don't know it, we're going to have to ask some questions and get, and get there through Socratic dialogue. Right. So, yeah, that would, that would basically be the thing that I'm looking for. But, look, if he can find a system that is both benevolent and efficient and replicable and everything, hey, I've lost. And that's a good thing. Because then we have found another sort of linchpin for, uh, for human freedom. We have found a sort of better alternative to pursuing our individuality. And I am down for that, so I guess I win in, 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 in the general as well. Yeah, yeah, if, he find, if he, if he manages to, to beat me with that kind of stuff,
0: right. but if he, but if he, yeah, if he argues Marx, then like you have to, you have to get past the hurdle of like the fact that Marx said, yeah, capitalism is actually really efficient. Yes, like, yes. Yes. yes, okay, yeah, yeah. So
1: the first part of the, the resolution is already already set. Already right. prima facie, true. Right. That's the first part of the resolution. So, um, uh it's just that Marx also believed and so did Emma Goldman and a bunch of other communist anarchists and Individuals like that, that and, and, and Perry, Joseph Prodhorn, all of them, they also believe that the capitalism basically broke humans down into mechanical apparitions, constructs at the at the behest of their sir, uh, at the behest of their masters, in the form of wage labor, or as or as Marx would call it, wage slavery, and therefore made them just useful tools and devalued their human existence in the first place. But and and an outcome of that sort of devaluation of the human existence was the creation of hierarchies, was the creation of positions and and the meritocracy which is as Marx would say is very evil and it's very bad and it's very biased and it's rung up in the in in, in in the corrupt interests of the of the proletariat and, or the the, the bourgeoisie, bourgeoisie you know um, so I think that Marxism itself just has a fundamental misunderstanding of the capitalist system in principle, and I think that I think that perhaps Marx may have had some legitimate gripes with the capitalist system in his country, but uh, I'm not entirely sure. Number one, if his ideology was the correct alternative to it. And number two, if that system was even entirely capitalist, because I I think that there have been very few instances in which we've had a genuinely, truly pure purely capitalist system i think i like i can't even ma- name one on a on national level on and communally or communally level. i definitely can right and, and even in like with mo- amongst multiple cities or whatever i definitely can right so and i'll i'll, I'll save those for the debate so like I, it's like there's like multiple places like massive places where capitalism in, in its ideal form flourished and, and allowed human freedom to be actualized in the best way possible and, and even even today I think that there is a interlocking, uh, an interlocking sort of mechanism of, 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 uh, of, of, of actions that would also seem to prove the efficiency and the benevolence of capitalism as it's supposed to be. My problem is that capitalism has never been tried on a national level. And so what does that mean on a national level? That just means that the, that the government has never allowed capitalism to work as it should. That does not mean that the government has nationalized capitalism. That just means the government has not allowed it the capitalism to do its job. So people that say it's not feasible, of course it's feasible, right? So number one, you, you, I mean, you would have to repeal a lot of these antitrust laws that are meant to, quote-unquote, promote competition. No, what they do is they apply an arbitrary standard to a non-issue, right? So the idea of monopolies or whatever, monopolies only exist because there's not someone who can provide a service better than that, than that person who's providing the service, unless it's the government and they have monopoly on force because they use violence. That's different. But in the marketplace, monopolies only exist for that main purpose. And so folks, however, seem to think that the existence of a monopoly applies a defect in the capitalist system or implies something that is sort of corrupt. But it's not. It's merely that people are able to do it better than other people in that area. And in in a meritocracy that those kind of considerations and decisions have to happen. So, I mean… And antitrust laws were kind of a response to that sort of arbitrary social fear of the corruption that monopolies so uh, uh, supposedly fomented. And so we have to so by repealing antitrust laws, not only are we repe- repealing a very uh, sort of tangible block towards the capitalist experiment becoming actualized, we are also indeed repealing the philosophy, the mindset behind behind the reason capitalism cannot be actualized. So not only are we per, not only are we permitting it to be actualized, we are th- we are also deconstructing the institutional operation of the reason why it's not actualized, right? So you can pr- permit someone to enter a building, or, or to or, you can permit a prisoner to enter the into, to leave the prison, but if you tear the prison down because there's been unjust stuff happening in the prison, you have therefore destroyed the institutional operation, the institutional manifestation, of the injustices that have been happening in the prison. Right. And we saw this back in Europe as well. Right. The church would literally put their ideology in the buildings. They would literally infuse the, their ideology, their concepts into architecture, into in, into all kinds of things like that. And Evan was talking about this with me recently. And and I was like, you're right, they did do that. Because for the church, the Catholic church back in the medieval times, it wasn't just about seeming spiritual or having a connection with God. It was, pr- it was also about maintaining all sorts of power in every realm in society or every realm in in, in, in in general in general in general nations that were under the Catholic Church's influence that were under the Pope's bull so to speak and they did part part of the reason they part of the way they did that other than you know papal bulls and making and, you know, bishops having incredibly amounts of of, of of unbalanced power in certain towns and being corrupt and promising people they'll go to go to heaven if they go kill a bunch of Muslims in the Middle East but beyond beyond all of that kind of stuff, they also embedded their mindsets within the architecture. Even plain architecture. I'm not talking about chapels. I'm talking about plain architecture. I'm talking about brick buildings that were built on the offices of the church. They literally embedded their way of doing things into the buildings, into the land. And when you root a philosophy or a mindset into the land, it it becomes almost permanent. It becomes dormant, and it's allowed to stay. Why do you think the criminal justice system is so broken? Is it because of how we do things? Of course it is. But guess, or, uh, but guess what? Where the me- where the repositories of our actions, or what we're doing, are going? They're going to prisons that are mostly very dangerous, or mostly very um, you know uh, apt to punish, or mostly you know not necessarily looking out for the best interest of the individual that are in that prison. Because guess what? Even prisoners still have constitutional rights. I don't yeah. care what anyone said. Has- they still have constitutional rights. I don't care what they did. Right. Uh, and they have now. They have a restricted form of constitutional rights, but they still have constitutional rights regardless. So literally, the ideology of punitive, of punitive, punitive justice, quote unquote justice, and the ideology of, of mass incarceration is literally embedded into the buildings that our people are in. So laws act the same way. Laws act the same way. So antitrust, uh, antitrust laws need to go. Minimum wage laws need to go. I, yeah. Need to go. Yeah, they really the, the, the <laughs> Minimum wage laws pretend that the employer or the individual is not intelligent enough or not prudent enough or not skilled enough to bargain for their own labor. Right. They have got to go. And
0: friendly, number, yeah. Yeah, minimum wage laws, I mean, Friedman argued that you know, yeah. they actually hold back young people from entering they the do. workforce. And they Especially from young from black in, men, too. Yeah, because, I mean, you yeah. know, you, you get out from school or whatever and you're looking for jobs and, like... You know, you go to school for twelve years, and they're like, "Oh, well, you, we need people with experience." Exactly, and exactly. and that seems to matter a lot. Exactly, and you know, when young people are like getting rejected from jobs for that very reason, like yes, then you exactly. going to ask, like, okay, why is that? Like, well, maybe exactly. they had a hard time getting a job in the first place. Exactly, exactly, you know, getting that experience, like. Because, I mean, you know, at least when it comes down to that, like, oh, you don't have enough experience, like, if there wasn't a minimum wage, you could say, all right, I'll work for less. Okay. I'll yeah. work for this much. You not can kind of, like, like, haggle a little bit. You at least yeah. have a shot, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's also a problem of value as
1: well, isn't it not? So, value is an abstract concept that, again, we can be root into the earth via certain modifiers or certain quantifiers or certain signs, right? right. So, uh, for example, if someone is, is, is very interested in the sciences, and they're very, uh, you know, cerebral, and they have their passion, which is also abstract until it's materialized in the world. And they exert their passion towards their studies, and they do good and everything, and they become a doctor. Your value as a doctor is therefore going to be rooted in the world as well, because you have already gone through the world. You have begun rooting and grounding your thing, grounding your passions into the world, and so the world's only thing can gives something back to you, right? But if you don't have much sort of skill. Or much sort of I don't I, quote, I I dare say value I, I think that all human beings have value at a base level but like sort of like uh you know uh, Util- utility 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 yeah. if you don't have utility then you cannot expect someone to value you at a, a value your labor at a very high 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 price right. That's that's simply to act act against the universal or natural law that is simply to act against the law of reciprocity. That is simply to act against volunteers, and that is simply to act against the law of exchange. That is simply to go against the very experiences that allow us to live the kind of lives that I think humans are best able to live. That simply stops us from being able to fulfill the kind of natural order that I think humans are supposed to fulfill in their own lives in, their, in terms of their natural freedom. That simply stops us and prevents us from being able to be as efficient as possible, be as benevolent as possible, right? When you have these sort of uh, uh, this sort of inversion, this sort of imbalance in reciprocity, this sort of imbalance in values. So minimum wage laws are kind of the physical manifestation of that imbalance in values and reciprocity. Right, so, look, like for example, right now I'm working a minimum wage job. Thank God. I, I'm, I'm happy. I don't mind it. Sure. But I promise you, I doubt there would be any employer that would pay me, as some people are getting paid in China and other countries that are at a much more economically disadvantageous this, this 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 state in America. is. I doubt if we were to the minimum wage, people would start getting paid $1 an hour. No one's going to work for that.
0: That would require industry-wide cleaning. Exactly. And that's, so and that's not going to happen either. So no. Nice. Because guess
1: what? If if Joe's shop begins you know paying people one dollar an hour, his competitors going to pay people much more right. than that. Because and Joe's going go, and Joe's not going to have any workers anymore. This actually the entire argument behind why anti discrimination laws are not needed, right. or why the Civil Rights Act was not needed. Right, because, it because it, guess what? a price for being yes, like, being and not only that, but inherent into the business's profit model, mm-hmm. it was costly for them not to hire blacks. Yeah. It was costly for for white businesses to be racist.
0: Yeah, that's why they had to implement Jim Crow exactly, the personally. Exactly,
1: exactly. It was costly for them. Right. And they would eventually have been pushed to a point of equilibrium, where they would they would have had to hire African American and minority workers without Civil Rights Act, nineteen sixty four. So I mean, I mean, I mean, these things seem so intuitive to 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 me. They seem so simple to me. If you simply act as Bastiat said, in agreement with one's life, liberty, and property, that sort of natural, that sort of triad of natural law that allows us to be individuals, allows us to be free, if you simply act and adhere to those things, a lot of the issues we have today in our contemporary society would not exist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the problem is people think that they're better than those things. People think that, they, that their right. socially constructed philosophies
0: right.
1: can, c- can solve or answer for the inherent realities of human life, for the inherent, for the inherent you know, prima facie truth of free will. I think they can answer for that they can't do that
0: right it's just so interesting to me and maybe i'll ask you just because i, I want to pass this idea around a little bit like you know we have a generation who is very interested in socialism very mm-hmm. yes like you have the bernie bros you got people mm-hmm. backing andrew yang and massive like, yes I mean, you know yes. Mean, he is his supporters are like so behind him yes they are like you know, he might not have, like, as much as Bernie, but he has, like, a very strong and almost oh, yes. felt, like, Oh, like yeah. Volume. I've
1: met the man before, too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He, he was at Liberty Con uh, a year ago. I met him. Yeah. That's actually pretty this, cool. this was before he was even famous. Wow. I said, like, Mr. Yang, how are you doing? He's like, how are you doing? Like, he waved, and we shook hands and everything. Yeah, I met him. He's wow. a And uh, uh, one of my friends described him as impish in the face of certain things. Like, um, Dave, the Dave Chappelle thing. Uh, Mr. Yang was actually quite fair to work Dave Chappelle, which is a good thing. I think Dave Chappelle is a comedian, and I think that he pushes the boundaries and purpose, especially in our modern-day society, because, number one, he can use Dave Chappelle, and, number two, it actually helps us to reconsider and reevaluate our secret cows every now and then. But in terms of his economic policies, the guy literally wants to give everyone, wants to to subsidize everyone $1,000, like, randomly. And and, and 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 even even a, a, a ninth grade financial literacy student could understand that financial literacy skills are the prerequisite to a financially healthy life. Right. Most people don't have four hundred one Ks. Most people don't have I mean I am mean, just being honest. If you're not financially literate, you really can't have a – you can't really be financially successful. Yeah. Again, it's a matter of certain laws and principles that exist.
0: And he kinda ties around this this um claim that, oh well I am doing exactly what Milton Friedman talked about. Oh and but that's not problem, what he said no, it's, that's not is, what he said, right. Well he's he's saying like oh yeah UBI was you know backed by Milton Friedman and, and Milton Friedman and it wasn't. what yeah. what he said was it would be an alternative to welfare programs. Yes. But not everybody was entitled to that program. Yes, exactly. Right. He's trying to universalize it. Yes. So every person just has a thousand dollars a month. Yes. And his um, source yes. I guess is like corporate income taxes which yes. corporations don't pay anyways. Yes, um, exactly. Yep. so it'd be like whatever f- and, and again we're going to end up paying that indirectly mm-hmm. because exactly. those costs will just be passed on to us so exactly. I mean but no know, but, like, but big
1: yeah. on, it's the problem of value as I said before right? the idea of value is being rooted in the earth in a very in a, in a very haphazardly way and when your value is not it, it, it is not necessarily understood as it should be and it manifests in a way that is also warped not understood then you're not going to be able to get good things from it you. you're not going to be able to understand it very well mm. so by giving everyone $1,000 plus. First of all, let me just go through a few of his arguments. Number one, he says that it's going to revitalize the economy. Because people are going to spend the money, right? So, let's try, to, let's try to understand this. So, first of all, the economy is not this... I, this is why I don't like the idea of economists or things like that. Or I don't like the idea of, of, of economists that reject this model. Because, like, the classical, like... You know, Austrian economists believe agree with us. The economy is not this mass of activity that can be measured and product to a certain end. The economy is this right here. The economy are all the podcasts that go got on the, on SoundCloud or whatever. The economy exists when Mrs. Jane goes down the road and buys flowers for for her wedding for a florist. The right. economy exists when I when I go to Kroger and I go to a bakery and that's in the bake a cake for me. The economy exists on a fundamentally individual level and that's why that's why most libertarian economists are micro-economists because they understand this principle that, yeah. you know, micro microeconomics can really explain a lot of things. These sort of small interactions are what builds up the massive thing. So, when Yang says, oh, the economy will benefit... That's assuming a few things. Number one, the economy is a is a is a holistic mass, which it is not. So number one, it's wrong. Number two, that all people will spend or treat their money in the same way—that is absolutely incorrect. People's monies are going to be are going to be directed towards, towards their situations or towards you know their subjects of interest. It will not all go into the same place. And again, even if it did, it wouldn't be the economy because the economy is not an amorphous mass. So that's number two and number one together. And number three, number this is the biggest thing. The idea that spending fixes things. Right. It doesn't. Merely throwing money at an issue will not fix it. And
0: that's definitely been the it, case it, with the welfare state. Exactly. It, it, does, mean, it, it, doesn't, it in,
1: doesn't fix it. Merely well, throwing money at an issue is not going to fix it. If you have, if you have a car that is structurally deficient, but you keep throwing money at it to repair it, it's going to give way one day.
0: Right.
1: It's going to give way one uh, day. It doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's part of the natural law. It's going to give way one day. It's just going to, it is, right? If you have, you know, if if your arm gets blown off and you get a prosthetic arm, that prosthetic arm is not going to be as better, at best as your normal arm is. I mean, you're still probably going to have some issues with mobility and things like that with that prosthetic arm, and throwing more money at that to get enhanced is not going to fix it. Throwing money at a situation does not fix the situation. So... Those three things, number one, this problem of values and lack of and lack of skills. Number two, the idea of the economy as a, this holistic mass, which is not even going to exist. And number three, the idea of money-fixing things. Every single argument Yang is using is completely and utterly debunked and devoid of any sort of logic and any sort of philosophical resonance. So even the arguments for UBI are ridiculous. Right.
0: I mean, I think the, the arguments—he kind of puts all this stuff behind, like— um automation and, and you know he
1: kinda oh he kinda God. freaks people out about Yes yeah, so he speaks no hook he he speaks about automation a lot, yes, but the general arguments for UBI which he has used are already like I dealt with them. Let's yeah. talk about let's talk about automation. Automation. Yeah. When the horse and buggy manufacturers were dealing with the railroad company, the Rockefellers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you think they felt?
0: Probably not too hot. I mean it, it's it's definitely a trend Yes. That's all it is.
1: It happens. Automation statistically is replacing more jobs than it is taking. Yes, it's going to take about 900,000, like the last study I saw, 900,000 or so jobs, but it's going to put like 1.19 million of them back into the economy.
0: Right. And that's kind of the thing that a lot of people forget. And also, when you automate, you allow for a process that economists call capital dealing. Yes, yes. So it augments your ability to create create, um, value. Uh, it is probably one of the largest driving forces behind increased incomes, yes. and that is something that has mm-hmm. temporarily has temporary growing pains, but yes. in the long run, it causes yes. a lot of um, it creates a lot of prosperity. Yes, and, and it causes
1: more skills to become valuable. Mm-hmm. Twenty years ago, IT folks are, are, are le- definitely less valuable than they are now. Right. Even in Silicon Valley, twenty years ago, or even thirty years ago, I would, I would dare say, when Jobs and, and Gates were out there trying to, you know, in, you know, uh, harness the energy of the internet of the internet age, IT specialists were not as valuable as they are today. Now, that's one of the, that's part of STEM. That's part of the thing that the industry that's booming. IT, IT, technology. So again, automation and the induction of these sort of energies, sort of digital energies, into the world, literally creates a place for more people. It widens the tent; does not close the tent. Some jobs are going to get lost, yes, mm-hmm. but that is merely a cost of the, uh, of the principle of reciprocity. That's all it is. Right. So, yeah, I think that I think that Yang and and and, and his gang and all those folks who are trying to advocate for the UBI are just absolutely ridiculous, and they don't have any sort of philosophical honesty to honesty, honesty to them. They need they need to put their boots to the ground and work. Right. And if they can't work, then they need to they need to find some way to get income. Although I think that even even people who are you know like physically differently able are able to work these days in something. You're able to do something. Right. Right. So I just I, I, I don't think that the UBI has, is a very convincing position, nor I think it's a desirable one at all that's just my that's just my those are just my thoughts on it you know maybe someone will want will want to debate me on this and I'd be happy to talk to them about this because I mean there's plenty of more deeper economic issues with the u b i but I just want to touch on a few of the more general ones and then this uh you know session today
0: right i, I mean I feel like honestly we we're just we live in a society filled with very bad economics like, like careful I mean, just, with that
1: careful with that word
0: or bad um, no Society. Ah, uh, society. Yeah. Careful
1: with that word. What does that mean? It
0: means the collection of individuals.
1: A loosely, loosely. a loosely affiliated collective of individuals. This is society right here, Rob. Me and you.
0: What terminology would you um, rather me use? We live in purchase? a time. In a time. Yes. That's cool.
1: Don't say society. Because when you say society in such a collective way, you are speaking as if society is a mass, a singular body that can be measured and prodded to a certain, a certain goal. And so that's, that's why sociology is a corrupt field, because they, they, they buy that pagan doctrine. They buy, they buy that absolutely false doctrine. Yeah, 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 exactly. Society is not... Anyone who thinks society is like that is, is living in a fantasy land. Society just is not like that. and uh, It's merely an empirical fact. Forget the philosophy. It's an empirical fact. This country... Is too divided, too fractioned, too differentiated, too individualized, to say there is one singular society. There, there, there is not. There's a brotherhood of man that goes on. There's a brotherhood of man that goes on, absolutely, but that brotherhood itself is very loosely affiliated as well. That's why, it's why, it's why a lot of groups have factions, and those factions have factions, and their factions have factions, and all of that sort of splinter cells within certain organizations. They break up eventually, or they have a lot of tension. If there was like one mass society, some one massive organism that is society, then man, I would ask, I would, I would, I would, I would challenge the purveyor of that of that idea to explain to me why conflict happens, to explain to me why why, why individualized instances of action happen, to explain to me why differences happen, to explain to me, I would, I would ask. I would ask them to explain the entire nine yards to me because if society is a mass of people say it is, then there should be no distinction. There should be no differences. There should be a single method of, uh, uh, of action to influence it in a single way to measure it or a very few amount of ways. And as sociologists told us, there are innumerably infinite and perhaps even illogically infinite amount of ways to measure society and social interactions. Now, don't agree with me and go on and cite some sociological studies, like many conservatives do. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Why? Don't go on and agree with me about this, and then try to condemn single mothers, or try to say that single parenthood is bad for the family, bad, bad for bad for people in general. If you agree with me on this point, then you should agree enough to to understand and believe that there are enough individualized differences within any subset or with any quote unquote population that would justify not labeling something as a blanket issue or a blanket statement. So if you agree with my premise that society is not the singular singular mass or body that can be measured and plotted to a certain way, then you should not be citing those stats with with, with religious with, with religious zeal. You
0: I can, think a lot of it's terminology, and I think when you it's hear not just people, terminology. no, well, I I really do. I think. Part of it is like people will say that they'll make they will make blanket statements. Like, yes. Like single motherhood causes poverty. And It does not. And it's oftentimes have, so the other so so way correlation, around. Right? right. So there's correlation. So like we can. Uh, social scientists are pretty good at like stating it to where like we tend to see a correlation between these two factors. They don't try to imply causation. They don't try to like make something more. Out of oh yeah, their, the scientists don't. And, right. most, and, and most social most
1: scientists will actually tell you, if you talk to them, that it's not, it's not single motherhood you're seeing controlling for that factor. It's poverty.
0: So poverty, so... Yes. Poverty, poverty is the co- reason why a lot the- of young
1: black men are getting, getting in trouble. Poverty, lack of the father doesn't do anything. Because a lot of times in these poor communities, the black fathers are in gangs themselves. That doesn't do anything. Lack of care and lack of discipline, of which can come from a woman as well, is right, what yeah, does sure. something. Is what mm-hmm. that's what causes the issues i cause right. the issues right so whenever i mentioned this a lot of folks i mean, i was debating with the social with the sociology major a few, uh, a few days ago and then he was like dude you know the evidence is clear the data is clear you're an anomaly i'm like no i'm not an anomaly i'm someone who had discipline right and you and any human being has the ability to have discipline really we do Right. Right. So it's it's oftentimes a good idea to investigate the meaning and the purpose and the and the cause behind statistics, as opposed to simply just taking them and hammering someone right. over the head with like a bludgeon to make a political point.
0: Right. And there's even data actually to back your argument more so than yeah. the single motherhood. So there's this really good study. I totally forgot who actually put it out, mm-hmm. but she looked at um, poverty, bet- like so different uh, mm-hmm. like white and black people, mm-hmm. right? and looked at, you know, some of them from lower income mm-hmm. brackets, yeah. some of them from middle class and some of them from upper class. Yeah. And the things that made the greatest differences yeah. in um, later on career success yes. seemed to be structure during their childhood. Structure yes. and discipline. Yes. Right, so exactly. there were people who had a schedule and people who were like you know, on it and doing things and actively like thinking about what they're going to do next and planning, mm-hmm. those are the people that grew up and they were more self sufficient.
1: But yeah, but even without, but Robert, you shouldn't need it. You you shouldn't need data to tell you that. That sure. should that should be self evident. Really, I'm i being honest with you. You shouldn't need data to tell you that if you're disciplined your structure, you're going to be successful. That's self evident. That's that's an that's an axiom.
0: Oh sure, yeah. I mean, it's, Socrates it's, knew that. Yeah, well, we we're talking about implementing policies oh right?
1: no 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 not do that don't do that no 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 no, no, no. Okay, i okay I'm not I'm not I don't think we need to, try to put and implement any sort of welfare right, or just in, anti-poverty in, in
0: general in general right so like you know should should we like i I totally understand that as an axiomatic principle I think it makes just it's intuitive yes it makes sense yes. right. But there are always going to be people who object to those opinions, and, and there will be folks who
1: object to the studies and the methodology of the studies too.
0: Right, and also, <laughs> you know, yeah, you of know? course. But but then you you always like that there are a lot of people who, I mean, there are plenty of studies, for example, that start out with an, a, a hypothesis A, and they sure. get they get a result C. Something- yes, yes. Right, and I yes. think it's important to just verify that. Like, yes, not, like not even that. Like you know, I'm doubting the the whole concept of reason. I'm just saying, like you know, why not? At least give it a shot. Why not try both? Why not try to verify it and just get, give yourself a little bit sure. of extra certainty?
1: No, well, well so, right. again, I, 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 think, so I think that verification can come forth through syllogistic reasoning. Yeah. So there are many ways of verification. Sure. You can have sort of empirical method where scientists measure things. Sure, sure. But what makes that better than, 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 than simple logic?
0: That's a good question. I mean... There, it doesn't. You're using different tools.
1: Yes, exactly. You can, and, you, and look, I'm not saying that stats are bad. I'm saying you shouldn't rely on them.
0: And I don't think you should. I don't think you should rely on one or the other. I think you know it'd be good to have a mix of both. I think even the best arguments have a mix of both.
1: Sure. Yes, but uh, I think that stats really only appeal to a certain area or a certain kind of environment. They don't really appeal to a, a axiomatic universal level. And a lot of things that people talk about, as politics really, can be chalked down to a sort of universal significance. When you, when you talk about gun control, it's not about if guns if guns cause murder, people cause it. No, it's about someone being able to preserve their life stream in the most efficient way possible. That's an axiomatic matter. That's a metaphysical matter. Mm-hmm. But we tend to it's, 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 a, it's a truth. It's a truth. Sure. And we, but we have this sort of obsession, sort of infatuation, with a as Kant would say. Mm-hmm. Apostery being the physical examination uh, application of the senses to like physical evidence or whatever whatever we call that and I just I, I think it's a little dangerous because it, there's a reason why scientism are you familiar with scientism the reduction of every single thing to a scientific process there's a reason scientism is uh, it's receiving it, receiving a, a resurgence in these past few uh, these past few decades right there's a reason why Richard Dawkins is such a lauded figure there's a reason why a lot of these things are happening. It's happening because we have a more a increasingly posturing scientific mindset that does not take into account reason as much as it should. And we supplant our natural human devices, our natural human faculties in favor of legitimacy or perceived legitimacy.
0: No, you right. That actually is, that is a tragedy. Science. I agree. I yeah, agree it's a tragedy. That is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And I think science. That every yeah. single school should have either like a logic or a philosophy class or some class of rhetoric, right? Like that'd be, that'd be great. Logic like is a science, to... actually. I think.
1: I mean, if you've actually done formal logic, like I have, and you have to know what, it, what, a, what a particular affirmative is, a particular negative is, and you have to like literally try to understand the symbols, like... A equals V B plus B. Like if you, right. yeah, lo- like logic essentially is basically like a mathematical process.
0: Hmm. It is. Yeah, I mean, I actually wanted to learn more about it, and like, yeah. there are classes here where you can. Yes, there is. I, I they're rigorous.
1: Think... They're very rigorous. But yes, yeah, something that we need to we need to really, 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 really move away from the science or nothing mindset. Right. And no, well, I agree. And that's, why, and that's why we've had this conversation before. And my debating style is not going to include. A crap, kind of statistics, statistics, or whatever. It's not going to do that. I'm going to try to speak to the soul, man. Now you can do that in many ways, and stats are helpful for some. Stats are helpful. Stats are helpful. Listen to me clearly. Mm-hmm. Stats are helpful for some matters.
0: Right, but you, at the end of the day, you actually have to make like an argument. You have yes. To have some kind of like you know string of propositions. Yes. So you have to, like back those.
1: Yes with different tactics or different tools. Right. Stats are one of them. And there are plenty of others that are, are acceptable as well. Do you know who Christopher Hitchens was? Yeah, yeah. He was, okay, he did, was good. did Hitchens ever entirely lean on stats like like Shapiro does? I don't
0: know. I mean, I, he I didn't. A, I mean, I would assume not. No. I mean, he seemed more and and like he was a... one of the
1: most brilliant polemicists in our orders of our time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He debated so many folks, from Phil Donahue to, like, some of the highest... Um, you know, Christian apologists to he, he uh, yeah yeah like to Bill O'Reilly, Al Sharkey. He debated everyone. He debated everyone. He was one of the one of the hottest brothers of his day, man. I swear. He wrote it for the Atlantic and shit. Like he he was hot. He he was on fire with his stuff. And you would be hard pressed to find him unleashing a rapid fire machine gun volley of statistics like most people do these days. He does not do that, and he still fought his opposition. He took on eight. Philosophically trained theologians and apologists at once, and he beat them. And the guy who actually hosted the debate was like, you know, for pe- people, please don't clap or please don't cheer because Mister Hitchens took on eight of us in one, and like he doesn't need your help. Damn, I want to I wanna get to that level first of all. I, I, that's awesome. I, I watched the debate actually; that was freaking awesome. Like wow. seriously, and it's, and it's not that their arguments were bad; they just couldn't really handle his 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 his, his, his sort of. His tact and his way of handling things. Right? Right? But his arguments all always, always also almost good as well. I mean, really. I'll have to send you some videos about him. He was, he was a brilliant man. I don't, I don't agree with his... He was a uh, diehard atheist. I don't agree with that. But still, I think he kind of shows that argumentation can be more than just numbers. Or studies or whatever. It's, it's supposed to be more than just that. Maybe in the political world, you can get by by throwing off some stat and sounding smart. But... Man, I'm not gonna do that. One person told me that you know, I wanted to be better than I have to be. And that's the truth. I don't I could I could sit I could sit around, make videos and make articles that just attack people or that have very loose or very you know, just very sloppy reasoning and incite rage and passion and get famous. I could do that. Candace Owens did that. Tommy Lauren did that. I can do that. I can do that easily. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Charlie Kirk did that. I can do that, I can do that easily. It's, it's easy. It's easy. But is that the kind of life I want to live? Am I going to be able to sleep with myself and look at myself in the mirror knowing that all I do is throw stones? I can't do that. Man, I can't do that. I have to have something deeper. Man, I do. So... It's a struggle. It's a constant metaphysical war being waged within me against the desire to appeal to the masses but also be true to myself at the same time.
0: Right. I think that is a struggle. You know, sometimes like you you catch yourself like, you know, in that where you you think am I really going to just sell myself to everyone else? Sell my soul? Exactly. Right. And I think you know, listening to you talk i think you're great just the way you are thank you the right people will come to you and they'll someday you'll have a podcast bigger than ben shapiro's that's for sure
1: well he's the number one podcaster in america right now number
0: one conservative podcast i
1: mean i mean his podcast gets more hits than oprah's so if i can have if i can be more popular than him that'd be awesome um
0: i I thought oprah was dead though dead ass i hadn't even heard of
1: she has a podcast Oh, yeah, you thought know, no, know, she like, was dead?
0: No, no, like, seriously, like, I haven't heard about her, like, at all, like, in the past, like, o- 10
1: years. Oprah, do you know like, that she made a rousing speech and, was like, almost considered for pres- the presidency, right? Like, she was, like, thinking of running, but she was like, no, I'm not going to do it. But really, she, this time? Yeah, she was going to run 2016, and she should have, in my opinion. It would have
0: been very interesting. No, 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 she no, would've would've 2016, and
1: 16, not 2019. Oh, I think that she would have won. I think that she would have, it would have been a Trump fight. I think that she would have worked him in one one. Oh, yeah, easily. How
0: do you think she is as a, as a uh, debater?
1: Ooh, good. no, not very good. Um, Oprah's a good speaker, and she's a good strategist. Huh. But as a debater, ugh, she follows the deterrence, um, no, no interaction policy. When uh, a reporter asked her, she was with Del King, to respond to comments that Donald Trump made about her. She said, I don't entertain those. Like, she follows the, the, not I'm not going to interact policy, and that's a little bit, I think, well, for, I think that it can be helpful in some situations that are hopeless, but in terms of, like, representing your positions and defending them, that's not very prudent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Obama is the same way. In fact, I was actually surprised that folks wanted Michelle Obama to be president. She literally... Was in a press conference and the reporter was asking her a pointed but a respectful question, and she was like, "You know, I don't handle this very well." And like she it was big news, she literally screamed and like had the Secret Service hoist her out of the room because the reporter asked her a pointed question: How would she be able to handle Putin and and, and Xi Jinping right. and, 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 and 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 Baghdadi's acolytes that are still alive and and and, and Erdogan and Assad and even. It, even the daily choices of the presidency, how would she be able to...
0: She couldn't. you got to be tough. Exactly. you got to be tough. As
1: exactly. Now
0: even, think, even if you're like, you know, Baron Trump, like, like you know, little... Yes, exactly. Because that guy, he got shit, and he was like, what, like 12, 13? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel bad for him, man. Yeah, his life's going to be...
1: No, I'm not going to feel too bad for him, because he's, he's going to be probably a millionaire or billionaire in his life. I mean, he's not, he's going gonna to be fine financially. But yeah. I do feel bad for him socially. I feel right. really bad for him socially.
0: Yeah, I mean, because they're putting all those conspiracies out like he had autism. Yes.
1: Because he was different. Yeah. Because he's different.
0: Right. Isn't it funny
1: how some folks in our time like to penalize being different?
0: It's just, I don't know. Isn't that funny? There's almost a need. Barron is very quiet. Yeah.
1: That's why people are like, does he have autism? Let me share something with you. Folks used to think that I had autism.
0: Same here. My parents
1: did. Like a lot of hooks were like, you know, Christian is really different, and is he on the Asperger spectrum? Oh. Or I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, excuse me. And this is the problem with the scientific mindset I'm talking about. This is why scientism and a reduction of everything to a scientific process is a bad thing. Because it literally co- not only does it cause you to like use, lose and complete sight and understanding of human value and in you know in you know metaphysics. But it also causes you to categorize and collectivize people under certain conditions, which may or may not fit them. Which probably leads to the, to the to the denigration of those principles themselves, and makes them less valuable when they actually need to be applied. Number one, which is why saying something is racist when it's not racist is bad, because it, it it like makes racism less makes actual instances of racism less impactful. Right. And not only that, but it's just like you're literally trying to put an imprint on someone's existence. You're trying to brand their existence for them, and that's. Uh, that's your super. That, that is your usurpatory. It's okay to be a little bit odd. It's all right. And I think that folks on the I mean, Well, I don't know why I thought I was on the Asperger spectrum. I guess it was because I used to twiddle with my fingers like that. That's what one woman literally told me. This was like back in 07, 08. and I can't believe I still remember this. Like, yeah, I mean, he twiddled with his fingers and stuff, and he was always talking about presidents in class, and I'm like.
0: That that means you're I don't know at least you're that, kind of observant of like yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool I
1: mean exactly you know, exactly 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 so I think that it's absolutely okay and you know Marion Williamson I know we're we off topic and really we've only just touched on one topic right now yeah. I I told you this was gonna happen by the way but like Marion Williamson who just dropped out of, remember her the the yeah, the, yeah. The, the new age kind lady of in a way the fun. new age lady. She got a lot of flack for this, but she, like, she said that she, we, we medicalize we medicalize normal human experiences too much. I think we do. I'm not going to touch too much on this, but I think we do. I think that I'm just going to leave it like this. We need to think about that. Right. I'll, that's all I'll say about that. We'll talk about that some other day. Uh, we, need, we need to think about that closely.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally agree.
1: ADHD being, one, be, being a, a very key example, I think.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> All all the kids on Adderall. Yeah. Today. It is breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Like breaks my heart. uh, There's this really good doc on um, Netflix about it. And you know what? I can't even think of the name. But I mean it is just brutal. I mean it's basically meth. Like that's what you're doing. It breaks my heart. And you know, the fact that you can literally get meth for your seven year old. Like if if you go to the doctor, they'll prescribe you. It breaks my heart. I mean
1: Yeah. It breaks my heart. It, 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 it's terrible. It breaks my heart into pieces. I I, I think that. Man, man it's hard. Brutal. It's hard. It it, it 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 it's hard to exist in these kind of spaces. Understand these kind of things.
0: But she had but, a good point.
1: But be afraid to speak up. Because you'll be labeled anti science, anti vax Oh right. Yeah. yeah. This is the problem. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to move on because I know we've got to address some other things. But this is the problem with the scientific mindset. It's, an, it's a hive mind. And if you go against it, you're going against legitimacy and progress. Right, and that's just... Notice, most rulers or most tyrants embedded their agendas into quote-unquote legitimate or institutional processes. Socrates' killing happened after a trial. It was unjust, but legal. Christ, entirely legal, unjust. MLK and l- 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 the civil rights protesters of, of the varying ages between 60 and 65. The dogs sticking on them. The wiretaps. Legal, unjust. Right. Cicero. Legal, unjust. I mean, literally. Tyrants use legitimacy as As a sort of like sustenance, as a sort of almost like energy to exert their plans upon the world and not be questioned. In scientific technocracy, scientific terrorism is the same exact way, and it is manifesting in ways that' are just so disturbing in our society, which is why that's like, that's why, I, that's why I, I mean, I don't mind stats, I don't, I do not. but I'm cautious. I don't want to help the technocracy. I don't want to help folks who are inherently holding humanity back from, from understanding their natural selves. I want people to, when people hear me talk, I want people to have a sort of existential experience. I want people to be able to look inward, by and through my words, and to find out something about themselves that they did not know until that point where they heard the, the sound waves of my voice hitting their air jump. That's what I want.
0: That kind of hits me like the, I guess, the postmodern critique of, like, I guess, no, well, number one, like science and then power, right? So, like, like institutions mm-hmm. are essentially built as a, a catalyst for— Okay,
1: I'm not being postmodern in this term. So let me explain it, it to, you. Let me, uh, let me explain you, to you. let me let me explain to you let me explain to you the difference between the postmodernist idea of power and science and my idea of power and science. So I don't think that institutions themselves are birthed or raised up solely on the platform of power. Foucault does Derrida does Sartre does I don't. Mm-hmm. I think institutions are meant to protect. Power is merely an externality. It is merely a consequence of their actual goals. The goal itself is not to have power. Right So the institutions themselves are not about inherently power. they're about simply serving other goals that may indeed involve power incidentally. So power is oftentimes inc- incidental to, to, to institutions not inherent. So that's number one. That's the biggest difference between the postmoderns. Number two, are you saying that every critique of the scientific mindset is postmodern? Have you listened to a Christian theologist recently? Have yeah. you listened to like a Christian theologist recently who, who that attacks uh, the idea of ev- evolution as a part of the scientific mindset? They're like material. Have you listened to any sort of anti-materialist, anti-nationalist, naturalist critique before?
0: I, I don't listen to too many. But if you're a Christian, I, w- I wasn't meaning that as like a smear. By the way, I was meaning that as like it, it strikes me similarly, and I no. wanted to see if, if you were in the same boat or in agreement with those no. figures, no, on no. that particular topic. No,
1: absolutely not. No, no.
0: But Yeah, I agree. We should absolutely. I think, I frankly, the Enlightenment was built on the idea that, like, you know, you should question. Uh, power or well, question legitimacy. Yes, and question ideas. And those were
1: not postmodern values, I- by the way. The Enlightenment was okay. not a postmodern oh, yeah. period. Oh yeah, I
0: know that. Postmodernism Modern.
1: literally oh, yeah. rejects the, the mode or method or the idea of questioning because it can be used as a as a tool to delegitimize the bodies. Some ridiculous shit it, like that. It's weird because they al- yeah. they
0: also use the same institutions to. They use the institutions that they're trying to critique to help with their points. Exactly. Like they use science to disprove science They use reason to disprove reason And it almost seems kind of backwards And like it's I don't know, I'd have to read a lot more to really understand How it actually comes around And and I don't even know if it's truly Consistent But do you
1: see the difference between my position and the postmodern position? Yeah, of course Do you see the clear difference? Right Do you? Yeah. Okay, good. Just making sure. Yeah. I don't want there to be any ambiguity. I am not a postmodern. And I
0: wanted to allow you to explain yourself yeah. because if we had a listener who was like, "Wait, libertarian, but that sounded, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Good to, it's absolutely good to be, yeah.
1: not. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. The postmoderns are, are are intellectual vandals who don't really have a sheet of seat of credibility to their name.
0: Why do you think so many like humanities professors, like they're like something like 80% of them are like like Marxist or postmodern? That's a great question. And not trying to, trying to confuse the two because I'm pretty yeah. sure there's a difference between there
1: is. the two. There is. Peterson makes a misnomer when he says postmodern neo-Marxism. Postmodern neo-Marxism. That's he that's just, a misnomer.
0: Right, because postmodernism essentially is literally
1: like many postmodernists are actually against the idea of Marxism and it, 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 like Marx at all. Um, that's a great question. I think a lot of it has to do with conformity and groupthink. I think that and 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 Hayek kind of spoke out against this sort of trend of the academia going to the going progressive and going more status. And uh, intellectuals, and, intellectuals, and socialism. Uh, and, like, his similarity, he made back in the forties or the fifties, I think. And basically, I think it's just a lot of academics were initially afraid to speak up, and that fear, that sort of complacency, allowed these ideologies to head into the system. And when others came up, some of them with, without perhaps the, 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 with lacking the the fortitude of some independent thinkers, probably decided to agree. Or ag- understand the general idea of academia as the truth, as opposed to challenge it. So complacency and refusing to challenge are probably the two biggest things that have culminated over the past sen- half century, past last half century, in the form of um, this sort of postmodern behemoth that's using at the heart of academia. That's probably what it is. Um, it's disturbing and disquieting, any and in, 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 in any way. Yeah,
0: have you heard of Stephen Hicks?
1: Of course, I've heard of Stephen. I'm I've, I've met. I'm actually friends with him. I, I have him on. No feed. way! Yeah, I met I've met the guy several times. Oh yeah, yeah, I met the guy several times. He doesn't me on first name basis.
0: Are you freaking? Yes, you got. Oh my yes. god! Do yeah. you meet the coolest people? What the heck? I
1: know <laughs> Stephen Hicks. Yeah. So he so just guys. People who don't know Stephen Hicks is an objectivist scholar. He's out of Rockford University in Illinois. He is one of the foremost intellectual scourges of postmodernism in the modern era. He does a bunch of debates, a bunch of seminars on modernism, libertarian, postmodernism, libertarianism, and he's a part of the wing of wing of objectivism that is called these sort of um, these sort of uh, what is it? These sort of uh, there's the Iron Institute, then there's the Atlas Society wing of the objectivism. So, in, in objectivism, the Iron Institute are much more of the purists of the orthodox. They don't like libertarians typically. They think that anything outside their system and philosophy is wrong or, or just – yeah, like, they have a closed philosophical system. If it's not Iron Man or Aristotle, it's not true. We're at – yeah, uh, man, this is true. I wish it wasn't this I – was, I wish it wasn't this way, whereas the Atlas Society is a much more of an open organization. They are, they are open to libertarianism. They're, they're actually at almost almost at all oh, libertarian conferences. They are sort of open to the ideas of other philosophers. So whereas one organization is more orthodox, one organization is more heterodox, and Hicks belongs to more heterodox organization. That's cool. Yeah. No, he, he's cool. What about him? I like him.
0: Yeah, I was just saying, I listened to his first lecture. He has, I like guess, multiple yes. uh, lecture series on postmodernism, yes. and I listen to that, and I like how he breaks it down and kind of like it's just kind of funny because, like, you know, he throws in these little critiques and he's like, you know, well, you know, they, they literally, like, knock at the foundation they're standing on. You yes, know, exactly. Yeah, Stephen Hicks has a
1: brilliant book about postmodernism. It's actually probably, if anyone, regardless if they're an objectivist, postmodernist, Marxist, whatever ideological, like, like camp you're in, wants to understand, yeah, you gotta read this book. What is it called? We, can, l-
0: we can look it up. Look it up. It's, we it, have it, access it, to the internet. Yeah, so. yeah, it's,
1: like, S- Stephen Hicks postmodernism Look on
0: postmodernism no, no, no. it is called explaining postmodernism yes yes explaining you know ha- how much is that on,
1: on amazon i think well, it's like 40
0: i think maybe 25 uh yeah well 20. it depends on where you get it from but i see 25 24 okay. 27 31 okay it's a little expensive yeah but
1: knowledge is priceless <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> oh, priceless. priceless. There you go. Stephen Hicks is a brilliant guy, and I think I think he and I actually we stood at the on the floor of the, of the Marriott Marquis in DC, talking for like three hours about are I think study? I think so about eight, about God, about religion, about Ayn Rand, and my God, the guy is brilliant. I don't agree with his ideas about you know, God. He's an atheist, like most Objectivists are, but mm. still he's a brilliant man to learn from. And if I had the chance to have to go under his wing, I would definitely do it in a heartbeat. So I, I respect Stephen Hicks immensely.
0: You think bringing him to school would be cool? Like yes, him to we, need, we, need,
1: we, need, we need to get him here. Yes, he would do it too. I'm sure he would. Really? The, oh his, he god. would probably be low too. Yeah, we need, we need to get him here. We definitely need to do that.
0: That'd be cool. It'd be insane if like he ended up debating some of our professors or something. That, that'd be.
1: Oh <sighs> hey, my I mean, god! I don't want to embarrass Mercer's faculty. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> um, Stephen Hicks is a high caliber intellectual.
0: Yeah, I. He
1: could it. decimate some of our people here. Not saying they're not smart. Mercer right. faculty are very intelligent individuals. I have none of it on that. But they're not on the Stephen Hicks level. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's like, it, it, it would be like putting Lawrence Cross at Mercer to discuss, or putting Cornell West at Mercer to, to talk with. Some. Uh, uh, you know, that, that would be embarrassing for our school. Yeah. If, if Cornell West came here to debate some of the more conservative professors, which there are very little, I mean, you know. It would, it would, it, it would probably be embarrassing, you know. Yeah. I don't want to embarrass Mercer. Right. <laughs> you know. I don't want to do that. No, because these guys I are mean, brilliant. You no, know,
0: but a push comes to shove, and you know, the
1: <laughs> No, these guys are
0: brilliant. These guys are absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. I I was impressed. Like he just is very, like, I would love to see him debate. Like Cornel uh, West. Or um, oh. Hicks honestly Cornell West or Hicks I mean- well, Hicks
1: has it debated before he actually debated a author on postmodernism I, I'll send it to you it's on the internet uh, yeah it's <laughs> actually why it's like two hours long but it's worth it um, he I forgot what the author who the author's name was but it was hosted by reason the reason foundation
0: oh wow cool. yeah.
1: yeah and it was quite interesting I, I think Hicks obviously won the guy was basically just saying yeah everything's subjective because I I can't prove it and that's it and Hicks was <laughs> just well hicks was just like you know what man it came to the point where he's just like you know what man you can't even improve this conversation so like why are you talking he's like you're right and (laughs) that and there just comes a point where they're just being buried by their own idiocy they're just being buried by their own ignorance and you just let them bury themselves and you walk away right? as what and John said in that one time I'm going to show you easier to walk away easier to walk away it's easier to walk away you have to walk
0: away you have to walk away
1: you have to walk away yes yeah yeah Absolutely. absolutely absolutely
0: wow hmm well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I actually wanted to ask you more about po- postmodernism, but we might like we ought to have a whole podcast. Yeah, yeah,
1: we'll, have, we'll talk about that because uh, we could, we can break it up into authors like Sartre. We can go from Sartre because I read Nausea before and The Wall. Mm. And we can go to Foucault. And we can go to uh, other authors as well. Because like I probably want to start with Foucault because he is he kind he is the architect of postmodern ideas on on on, on power. Hmm. And uh, if you want to really understand the postmodern idea of what power exactly is in their mind, Foucault, the Panopticon, Discipline and Punish—all that is very important. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll hop, we'll, like, we'll do will host a separate podcast about that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I have a buddy who I actually might want to bring on. He's he's uh he's in one of those classes. I think it's like postmodern okay. philosophy. Like I think that's the class. Okay. And so he's literally learning about it right now, and he's a philosophy major, a history and philosophy, and he'd be cool to have on. It, too. Okay. Um, but. I guess, so, you want to talk about uh, Ray's letter or, sure. Uh, Ray or you want to talk about primaries or... Well, what, what do you want to talk
1: about? Um, you decide. I don't care. I got, I got time. I don't care. I got time. All right. Well, I got plenty um, of time. I don't
0: have anything to do. I guess we were talking about just the world being uh, crazy as it is. Yes. And uh, my mouse is not working. Well, That's all right. But... Um, we're actually a little bit late on this. Uh, Ray Dalio, um, for those of you who don't know, he's the 58th richest man in the world, um, head of the Bridgewater Hedge Fund, literally the largest hedge fund in the world. And um, we, we, earlier we were talking about economics, and this guy kind of echoed what we were talking about in a way. Um, and he actually wrote an essay. It was on LinkedIn, strangely enough. Uh, the world has gone mad and the system is broken. And I think a lot of people were concerned. It was very apocalyptic. And, uh, you know, he, he kept on saying, like, look, I'm not a pessimist. I just think things are going bad right now. And um, I think he points out he points out a lot of the financial insanity. So he, he brings up a lot of points. So for starters, he talks about how basically money is free today. Like, you can you – can, if you're creditworthy, you can get money f- uh, for, like, almost 0% interest. And th- the fact of the matter is that, like, you know – with, with quantitative easing. For those of you who don't know, it's basically when the, uh, the Fed will buy stocks or uh, securities from either the central government or they'll buy um, uh, mortgage-backed, um, mortgage-backed securities mm-hmm. uh, from private firms. Or stocks. Or, or, or stocks. stocks yeah. right? They'll inject liquidity, which is the ease of, of turning assets into cash, mm-hmm. into the market. And so that gets money rolling, right? Because, um, you know, inflation you, or no, sorry, interest rates are essentially the supply, the the, the marker on that, that measures supply and demand of money. And when interest rate rates are really low, yet you want to get the economy moving more, you have to increase the liquidity even more. So you use quantitative easing to do that. And so right now, the market is just being flooded, flooded with money, and investors are are pouring money in a, in a bad bad uh they're making bad investments basically and so you're having people throwing in money into companies like uber who are losing a billion dollars every quarter and you know many companies are being you know just pushed under um, with you know forced to take on all these all these loans uh, with the threats of having you know many of these loans being put put um, onto their competitors and so bad investments a lot of people are are getting these loans just selling off their their dreams rather than like actual like hardcore like real like results so it 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 just reeks of the dot-com bubble where you know just speculation is out of control and nobody wants to take their foot off the gas pedal because if they do they don't want to like have all these i mean especially in america because honestly obviously trump like he doesn't want to have some kind of like turndown or, or downturn um in the economy especially going like, you know before the elections so I think part of its being being pushed by him he America's obviously a big player when, when we suffer the world suffers and um, i I just think it's insane I, I think it's insane that the government has such a major role in that regard and how they're they're really gonna screw it up for us because we're gonna have such a massive deleveraging, in my opinion. And normally when, when an economy deleverages, um, you at least can like pull pull the interest rates down, kind of get it going a little bit and, and get out of there. But with, a, with this situation, the lever's are already pulled down. We're already doing quantitative easing. And if we let off now, we're going to have a really ugly situation. And it's hard to say what's going to happen next. So... That's that's the first point, I guess. And then additionally, he talks about how um, basically healthcare and pension funds are going to be a big problem. Um, so there, there's basically so many people who are like on these like – we're, we're having a diminishing population. So we have a lot of old people, and then we have a smaller amount of younger people, and our population is starting to shrink over time. So what we're going to have to deal with is paying for these – these funds and trying to make sure these people survive even though we, we really aren't going to have the tax base to get it done. We're going to have to keep growing our national debt and we're going to either have to cut benefits for these people. We're going to have to um, raise taxes or we're going to have to print money and that's going to be a problem because we're just going to further um, devalue our currency and it's going to put our the, the reserve currencies of the world at risk. Um, even with that, I mean, and, with that you know again national debt is going to be a big issue uh just because it, it you know it'll it'll come back to bite us in the ass and that bas- that's essentially what he said that is uh the the basis of his argument and i think he is absolutely right i you know went online i read everything i was literally up for like you know i was in the library for probably like eight hours like trying to look at everything he said and it's it's really shitty and I don't know how we're gonna get out of this but I think you would agree that when when we allow crony capitalism to come in we really screw ourselves over like
1: yeah so everything you said could not be more I think imperative to the uh, to a coherent and holistic understanding of the current situation many Americans face today, the current obstacle they face in the way of, of their economic freedom. They couldn't be more pertinent, they couldn't be more prudent. A lot of the things you mentioned, however, again, as you mentioned, are products of simply government involvement in the markets. Quantity of using all these sort of economic or financial wizardry that are done by the Fed to soothe the anxieties of, of markets You don't understand that anxiety and, and, and fluctuations and, and 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 things that are not that are not necessarily settled things that are very you know and uh, disoriented are merely a mere part of being in a business. It's really a mere part of the markets, because the markets are merely a a, a material manifestation. Of, of interests and values. And interests and values and, 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 and tastes change all the time. So there's going to inherently be fluctuations in the prices of things. There's going to inherently be stocks that go up on the Dow one day, then down the Dow one day. There's going to inherently be play businesses that are not doing very good, that were, that were worth a lot, and businesses that are doing phenomenal, that are worth very little. There's going to inherently be those things. And this is not a defect in our economic system. It's merely, it's an affect of it. It's a good effect of it, too. Mm-hmm. But quantitative easing and those kind of policies are merely artificial means of denying the pure truth. Right. So that's just number one. I think that a lot of it is mindset-driven and philosophy-driven. We have to to recognize that our system as as it's supposed to work, capitalism as as it's supposed to work, includes these things, but it includes them for the good of everyone involved. And it works out for the good of everyone involved, too. Even if it doesn't materially seem to be good, even if you lose your business or if you lose some money, It eventually is going to teach you how to be a better investor, how to be a a, a better manager, how to be a better business owner, how to be a better trader, how to be a better whatever. And it's going to be able to build you, if you have the resilience needed, into a very powerful figure who could perhaps start another another venture and kill the game. Most ventures fell when they first start, on their first try, their second try. The, The only reason Jobs and Gates we know their name is because they were resilient. If you give up the first time, you will have you will have truly you will have, you will have truly lost. but forever long and so long as you do not give up, you will never lose. It is impossible. It just doesn't happen. If you do not give up, you will never lose. But businesses and the and, and investors don't understand that, which is why they bow to the Fed and they ask for this money mm-hmm. and they ask for things to be set, set right, artificially. Because they don't understand the natural processes of how these things are supposed to go. They don't understand. They are uneducated about the, about the genesis of these things, about the German nation, how to see Germany. They're uneducated. or even Actually, I might not even give them, I may not, I may not give them credit. They're educated. They're pretty smart people. A lot of investors oh, sure. are. Yeah. They're educated. They're just willfully ignorant
0: mm-hmm.
1: of these basic truths. So This is more of a problem of lacking for enough philosophy and enough potent understanding. Of the inherent principles of the, of the system you work in, as opposed to the system itself being broken, mm-hmm. and so Mr. Dalio is correct. So, I would, as an object to his letter, I would I would just simply add: We're responsible for this, mm-hmm. and this comes from our ignorance. Right. And it's the antidote to this is very simple: Don't be ignorant. But it's so hard because yeah, it's, it's a hard lot of folks yeah, I mean, don't want to.
0: Right. A
1: lot of investors love getting that sort of. Morphine injection from the Fed at the time. A lot of businesses love that too. They love it. Right. It makes them feel safe and secure. But if you're trying to feel safe and secure, then I'm sorry. The markets are not a place for you. Yeah. You know how many people lost stock when like. should I may remember a company that just crashed recently. But, like what? companies crash all the time. Oh sure. Yeah. Big companies crash. Toys uh, R Us. Toy. Yeah. You know how many people lost stock when that happened? A shit ton of people. Sears. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They were they were hoping to get back in the millions. They lost a lot of money. They were affected.
0: Right,
1: but you took a risk. You took a chance.
0: Right, and that's the whole thing of the stock market. Right, it's risk and reward. Hi, exactly,
1: exactly, exactly. Like,
0: why do you expect to reap rewards when you're exactly. not willing to take a risk?
1: Exactly. There's mm-hmm. an, the underlying tenants are still on the surface, but they're not being acknowledged in their fullest extent.
0: Right. That's,
1: that's the problem.
0: That correct. I, I think the government, in regards to their activity around the economy, it's like the. Archetype, uh, ar- ar- archetype, <laughs> archetype, yeah. archetype yeah. of the um, the edible mother, mm. you know, who, mm. who tries to do what what the kids want, yes. and you know tries to like you know nurture them, yes. but in reality just handicaps them, and it makes it makes them unable to to really function properly.
1: And one of the most powerful deviations from this sort of sort of paternalistic philosophy happened in the 1970s when Gerald Ford was approached by the city of New York. Gerald Ford was the, was the vice president of Nixon, became the president after Nixon left office disgracefully because he decided that he was going to you know, mess up his opponent's electoral headquarters, even though Nixon was well ahead in the polls. Nixon was an absolute idiot, by the way. But yeah, his, his VP, Gerald Ford, got in and then pardoned him, which I don't like Ford for doing that, right. so he wouldn't get prosecuted or anything like that. And like Ford, but one thing the things Ford did do, Ford said, Steve uh, New York said, dude, we need to bail out, we're in debt. And he said, no, handle it yourself. And people were like, you've destroyed New York City, they're, not, they're never going to recover. New York City is now still the financial capital of the world. Mm. Ford simply said, I'm not going to give you the money that you want. You're going to handle the situation yourself. Which forced city managers of New York to hit to put pen to paper and dig themselves out of the hole they created. Mm. So, if the government had that mindset more, especially as it relates to the markets as a whole, you would not have seen the bubbles happen. That that caused the financial crisis two thousand eight. You would not you would not see QE happen. You would not see inflation just skyrocket like this. If the government had that kind of mindset that Ford had back in the seventies, I think you would see a much more stable, not perfect, but much more stable system.
0: You're right. I, I totally agree. And a lot of the it's funny um, our economic textbook uh, that I was reading last semester for for micro, they, they had this section on on. Um, market failures, supposedly, yeah. supposedly market yeah. failures, and every single instance started with the government did this. And it was hilarious, mm-hmm. because then it was put on the market. It's funny, the, the Fed loves to take credit for when the economy is great. Yes, they do. But then when the economy is not so great, they're like, oh, there are these unforeseen things that, you know, happen, and all of a sudden you know, we couldn't do anything about it. Like, it, it's just funny to me. Exactly. And, you know, the The whole thing behind the the uh, Great Recession of two thousand eight. Yes. My uncle, he's a financial analyst. He argued that it was because of the Fed's action during the dot com bubble. Yes,
1: that was a big part of it. Yes, the housing bubble as well also had a big part mm -hmm. in doing that. Yes, yes. They, people were getting houses, and they weren't for, for practically free under the Clinton administration. Right, they had no, no could loans. And they, <laughs> and they couldn't pay
0: it back. Yeah, they had strippers going out and buying houses. Yes, and just you know, like yes. saying, oh yeah, I make eight hundred thousand a year. Yes, I can buy three houses. Yes, and so you had people were literally getting paid to buy houses. Yes, and that's how insane it was. Yes, and oh yeah, and it was because um, during the um, during the dot com bubble. Uh, it was funny, so they, they had this massive over-speculation yes. because the, the, you know, it, computers were hot, technology was hot, the internet was hot, and uh, you had all these promises that companies were very similar to now, yeah. very, very great dreams and, and great ideas, yeah. but no real, um, no real actual results. And so you had companies who, who never even earned a dollar getting money from investors, tons of money. And, and then when they couldn't deliver yeah when they couldn't deliver yeah um it went to shit. and so what ended up happening instead of um instead of raising the margins on stocks so making yeah. it more expensive to buy stocks the fed was like okay we're gonna raise interest rates right and so they were trying to slow it down and then they had the crash and then that then those high interest rates i mean you look at what happened with the housing market yeah and they actually raised they raised the, the interest rate six times from i think 99 to 2000. Yeah. It was insane. And then they kept those throughout that, that period and then all of a sudden people were buying houses cuz they were getting these massive returns. And uh, it was just it, it basically was was the the one of the leading factors behind it besides the, you know, uh, default credit f- swaps or whatever, credit default swaps and and all that and Mm-hmm. Have you seen the money? The big, sh- or the movie, the the Big Short. The Big Short. The Big Short.
1: I I I have not. I have not seen it. Explain it to me. Very cool
0: movie. So, basically, um, it, it discusses the idea that uh, for for those who don't know what credit default swaps are, it's basically insurance on loans that you, mm-hmm. you make. So like, yeah, the, so concept, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll say there is a person who perhaps is is um, borrowing money from you, right? Yes. So, Okay, or maybe I should explain it like this. So let's say you're, you're a business, uh, or there, there is a business, and they are selling bonds, right? And you buy these bonds, but you're not sure if, like, you know, they might have a bad rating. They might be, like, you know, a, a, a B. Or, well, a B is not really that bad, or a double B or whatever. But you might be a little bit worried. Like, they, they could go out of business, and that's not a good thing. So you're like, okay, well, how do I ensure that I get this sum back if I buy this bond? So you go to uh, go to a, a credit default swap seller, mm-hmm. right? And you go to them and say, "Look, if I pay you a premium, will you ensure that I get this money, or will you pay me back this money?" So, I'm like, okay. And so you pay them a little bit more, but you're guaranteed to get that money back, right? And so, that's basically what's going on with with mortgages. Um, so they're they're bundling them up, and then they're having these things where you're investing. In those, and then you had these uh, credit default swap sellers who were like insuring those. And what happened was basically um, all that, all the defaults happened, and it was these credit default, like the AIG was a great example. Yes. So they got absolutely screwed because they took all this, all this, um, this massive hit because all these mortgages were defaulting. And so the, the premise of the movie was that there's one use of credit default swaps to insure yourself mm-hmm. and other ways you can use it to where you buy it for an asset that you know is going to default and it's like betting against them so that's what the the main character was was yeah. doing that right so he um was doing he was buying into credit default swaps because he wanted to get that sum from the sellers so he could make money instead of like you know like just buying houses right so there there's almost like a like a bet and a counter bet right and so he ended up, while everything was crashing and burning, he ended up making a shit ton of money, mm-hmm. right? And so that's how you can kind of play the game. Yeah. But I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> was anyway. a
1: lot like Martha Stewart what she did. Although she got an insider reformation though. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, anyway, i go. Oh, no, oh no, that was not going. Oh my gosh, she got buried for that. Yeah, she did some insider trading and they 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 put her under the rug. Uh, she's she's made a comeback actually. Yeah, she has her own, cook, her own cooking show now and. She's been on a few roast panels already from Comedy Central. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she's doing all right now, but it was, you know, she she just, you know, I Guess she was she didn't do things fairly, quote mm. unquote, fairly.
0: Right. I mean, I, I remember <laughs> the only time I remember like in any way is what is it? Men in Black. She was in yeah. one of those. And yeah. Like, yeah. She was this lady with all the like the like the Medusa lady. You know. I think the, so. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was gross. Yeah. But um, Martha Stewart. Wow. There you go. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that's all very interesting information. Um, yeah, I've never seen that movie before. Good movie. I mean, very interesting. They're, they're, it, it's worth a watch. We'll, we'll definitely have to watch it sometime. Yeah, we we'll
1: definitely
0: have to. But that—that uh, that was the name of the game, and um, you had these again these no doc loans mm-hmm. where people were just strippers buying houses and stuff. And, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it, and it, it's funny because you know all of it gets put on capitalism. And, it, like, the thing is, like, the government has a press agent, right? Like, you know, like, the government will, will speak on its own behalf all the yes, time. Nice. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. Course. like, the Fed especially. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Janet Yellen, or
1: one of the chairmen, they will definitely go there
0: mm-hmm. in front of the press and speak on their own. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but then the free market doesn't have a press agent. It right? doesn't, you're right. Yeah, I mean, maybe us. I don't know. Maybe people will listen to us. But um, People who decide that they want to protect the mechanism that
1: Best exemplifies their natural human freedom, are the spokespeople for. So me, you, and any other person that decides to make a business or an institution uh, that serves the public or serves you know whatever within the free market system, they are the spokespersons for it. They may not they may not know it, it may not even occur to them, but they are effectively acting in their capacity as a business owner, or as a or as a value as a value creator, as a spokesperson for the free market.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah. I totally agree and I think you know hopefully you know maybe we'll get like someday someday maybe we'll be like the Joe Rogan podcast to get like you know like you're funny like, like 20 million what do you think about Joe Rogan thanks okay uh <laughs> all
1: right all right where do I begin so mr. Rogan uh, I'll just say tell people what happened recently that's probably why mr Rogan's on mr. Robert's mind. Mr. Rogan just endorsed Bernie Sanders and the human rights campaign and several other left leaning organizations have been absolutely ripping into Mr. Rogan. Uh, because of past comments he's made about trans folks, about gay folks, about I mean, Joe Rogan's not politically correct. Uh, he is a former wrestler former and former wrestler and announcer as well, who literally just smokes weed and talks to people on his on his show. That's what he does. And so you're not going that kind of that kind of person is not going to have a very poised High class, sort of, uh, sort of um, t- tone or demeanor about him. He's going to be a little bit rough, on, rough, rough around the edges. This is the problem as to when we, we apply these sort of standards and these sort of lofty expectations to folks, or on, on, on the basis of some sort of um, unified, uh, uh, so unified notion, code, edict of respect. There is no unified o- a notion, code, edict, or, or respect of respect. Respect materializes in different ways, although it should materialize, I agree. Materializes in different ways. And it is not always assured to immobile, abstract, amorphous concepts. So I don't think Mr. Rogan has ever mentioned a trans person by name and attack them by name personally. Right. Yeah. He's probably talking about the concept. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or and if he talks about the concept that I'm not entirely sure he's in, he's entitled to treat it with he's 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 obligated to treat it with with as much respect as folks think he is. I guess it was, I guess it depends on the concept. But I don't know. Right. Well, so, I mean, like, with, yeah. with,
0: with trans people, he did um, uh, talk about Fallon Fox, who's this yes this fighter who yes uh, was, a, was a guy who transitioned yes. to, to a woman yeah and he's now fighting women and all these girls are getting out of these fights um, yeah with like. Just brutalized, and mm-hmm. and, they, yeah. and they're saying like, "Look, I've never been hit that hard, like never." And you know, he talks about the dangers of that. Yeah, and, and
1: exactly. Yeah, and, and and so, I think that Joe Rogan, so like, first let me let's let's go on the transition real quick before we get we I get back to him because he's separate from that inherently, but he has made comments about it, and I don't want to make any sort of ambiguity. I love trans people. They are my brothers. They are my sisters. I breathe with them. And I breathe with them. You know, I am in conspiracy with them. And the Latin root for conspiracy is to breathe with another one, with another person, to breathe with another person. I share their souls in my heart. Being someone who has a drastically different perception of themselves than the than the broader time in which we are in, the broader perception of the time we are in, is not only tremendously brave, but it gives me hope. That there is still a semblance of intellectual autonomy and freedom in the world in our very hyperpartisan collective age. Trans folks, by their mere existence, give me hope. They are beautiful. They are to be loved. They are to be cared for. They are to be cherished. They are to be provided for. They are to be treated as normally and equally as every other person on this earth, period.
0: I totally agree. With period. That is there is
1: nothing wrong with them. Right. Do you agree? Right. Good. There's nothing wrong with them. Nothing wrong with them. They're human beings. Now, let's talk about the sports issue. Because there's an issue of fairness in that sports issue. So I'm a, I'm a supporter of trans folks. But I see the dangers in having someone with increased testosterone levels and compete in a division in which the people who generally compete have a drastically lower testosterone levels. With that in mind, not all trans folks are the same.
0: Right.
1: Not all trans folks have the same testosterone levels. Not all trans folks even take hormones. Not all trans folks. I mean, it's true, and trans folks are very different people. And so the Olympics is actually going through this right now because. Tokyo Olympics 2020 Summer Olympics Is actually debating Over whether or not To allow trans folks Trans 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 women To completely compete In the regular women's category mm. Here's what I say the, the, the primary Opposition they're getting Is that Women have like testosterone or some sort of chemical level of like, a, th- a testosterone level of like 1.75 or 2.75 whereas a typical trans person has like 7.4 or 8.4 like a drastic difference and therefore that mani- that, that difference mixing is manifestly unfair okay, so I, as, I, as I said not all trans folks are the same so if I was on the, the Olympic Committee I would say, okay, here's what we do we, we evaluate every individual participant in our sports, our sports game, individually
0: that makes sense. If there
1: is a trans person that is closer to like the, the, the normal hormone levels for women and if they, if they take enough and if they take enough hormones, enough estrogen, they will be. Then fine, let them compete in the regular category. But if there aren't, then simply create a particular division for folks who may be a little bit above that average testosterone level, and allow other folks, trans women or irregular women who may be in that category as well, to compete there. And still have that have, have, have that have that sort of subdivision under the women's division, mm-hmm. so that if they win that subdivision, they have a chance of winning the overall women's division.
0: And that's that's actually the same argument that, that Neil deGrasse Tyson made. Yes, the exactly. Sunday special with Ben Shapiro. Yes,
1: exactly. Yes, yes. That's also my argument as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah I, I, I just yeah, want so. you know, you know, saying. Yeah, but I think I think I think he's like on the same. On the same wavelength wait, 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 That's what you do. That's what you do. Right, that's how you deal with this That is the manifest way to handle this. The perhaps, the simplest, the easiest, the fairest way. You still have them in the same division, so that means a trans person can indeed, theoretically, win the entire women's division if they want to. I don't care. But in direct competition, have a subdivision. I'm not sure if Tyson said that exactly.
0: Well, okay, so... But I'm saying... So if... if, So like like, they could win the whole thing as in like they get the gold medal. They like, can do that. yeah sure why not why not why, why not within the women's division if they have substantially higher testosterone levels.
1: Yes, but you have them directly compete in different like different different sports or different particular games than other women. I would so, actually say so that's not.
0: I would I would argue the opposite. I think that they should be able to compete compete directly like depending on what they're doing. No, as I said, if they have but, if
1: they're in that testosterone ballpark, they should be able to compete directly. But those who are on the upper hand of it should not should not compete directly with people who are uh, lower testosterone from ball, ball, ballpark.
0: Yeah, that would, actually, this is really complicated because then you're talking about, like, so, for example, boxing and wrestling, like, there's going to be an advantage. Yeah. Right? Then there's also, like, like running. Yes. Where you run together, but it's not like, you know, like, you're beating the shit out of someone. Yeah. So it's, it, there's direct and indirect competition, and then... Yeah. That is, okay. That, that deserves a lot of thought. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean... If my idea had been thought about, I think that... A lot of, I think, just like, like the discussion about this would be much simpler. Fact, I, I tried writing an article about this, for this, like, proposed for this, and like, mm-hmm. my, uh, you know, folks who were helping me were like Christian. There is no publication that's going to take this article because it's just too, it's too radically different. No one's because I'm like, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Right. I mean, because at the end of the day, we're going to eventually have to redefine those kind of sports just yes. because of these issues. And you know, yes. I mean, because as much as we we don't want there to be any kind of crazy unfair advantages. We also want to give these people an opportunity to compete and fill their dreams. Yes. Like, I totally believe in that. Yes. So there's going to have. I'm happy being... you do. Yeah, of course. I'm happy you do. I'm happy you um,
1: do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Robert. Ben Shapiro literally calls trans folks mentally on a daily basis.
0: It's... Uh, it's, it's rough. I mean... He
1: literally will sit there and call trans folks. Without being a psychologist, without even knowing anything about them personally, without even being trained to di- diagnose such a thing, he will call them on the basis of a few stats. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. We'll, well, I'm mean, not a fan of the authority argument, but he I understand was, what you're saying. He'll right? get into the... What,
0: what? Well, the authority thing. Like Just because he's not trained means he's not... Like, uh, like you know no so like if you're going to diagnose someone if
1: you're going to diagnose someone for, with it with a condition, you need to be trained that's not an argument to authority that's simply an argument of credibility
0: well, I mean the, well, as in like if you... an you argument know, of knowledge and a difference between, knowledge and, the difference between uh, knowledge and accreditation so like you know if he, if he knows just as much as a doctor then fine but sure I don't think but how does
1: he doctor. doesn't he has he has, exactly. to, he has so to prove it.
0: So right, right, right. So, so right, so, right. So, right. I don't trust some guy. I, I don't trust. It's not an argument
1: of authority. An argument of authority okay. is when I cite someone who may or may not be qualified in the area that I'm citing. But since there it wasn't an authority, it must be correct. Well, right. So if I cite Neil deGrasse Tyson as it relates to agriculture, agricultural policy, it's Neil deGrasse Tyson. He must be correct. That's an argument of authority. That's not. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's completely different. But, but, I'm but simply you didn't saying,
0: saying. He wasn't a doctor.
1: No. What I'm, I'm saying. He's not a psychologist and he has no business making diagnoses of people. He's literally diagnosing them with mental illness. Yes, I'm saying
0: that. Okay, well, I'm getting what you're saying. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's I'm saying like the that. The argument is invalid because he's not a psychologist. No, but I'm, I'm the, just the saying. Diagnosis, yes. like he, he's not technically
1: He's not. He doesn't he, he, he he have the training to do that. All
0: right. So, if you okay, could just, just crack open just, a book
1: and learn psychology and be a psychologist, you wouldn't need to go through institutions to do it you could crack open a book and be a doctor, you wouldn't need to do like, go to like, institutions to do it. You can't do that. You have to have certain specialized training and on-the-job training. He doesn't have either of those things in terms of psychology. All right,
0: okay. You see my point? So we're clear. All right, we're clear. Okay.
1: Now, the argument—well, We'll, just, well we can, I can adjust the argument easily. The argument's not even ironclad. The argument's actually pretty poor. So the stats that he cites all the time come from the Williams, Williams Institute, which is a place out of, the, out of UCLA it focuses a lot on LGBTQ issues. And the Williams Institute doesn't know that seventy-two percent of transgender folks have had thoughts of suicide. In that same study, a majority of those seventy-two percent, almost unanimously, report feelings of being stigmatized from society or their family. So when Shapiro says, "Oh, it's definitely not because oh they're being they're being stigmatized or they're being or society," oh that's not because of it. He's showing his ignorance, number two. He's literally rejecting the, own, the findings of his own study that he's using the b transcript over the head with. Most of it is due to societal or familial stigma. That's it. There's nothing inherent in changing your gender, at least as the evidence would say, that makes you want to kill yourself. There's gender dysmorphia, but that's a little bit different. Gender dysmorphia is a confusion about who you are. And so when conservatives use gender dysmorphia as an argument, they are basically saying that trans folks are confused, which is a subjective opinion. If there's a trans person who knows and feels like they are a certain way, they're not, then they are therefore by definition not confused. So conservatives are using their own... Isn't this a blame? They're using their own subjective idea of what a trans person is to use scientific, objective literature to literally stigmatize and attack them and brand them as something they are not. Isn't that hilarious? That's funny to me. That's comedy, man. Chris Rock couldn't have wrote a a better joke. That's funny. It's a mind... I was thinking about this last night. I was like... Damn it. Dysmorphia means confusion or conflict. But when you get past the stage of confusion or conflict, what do you have? You have resolution. Mm -hmm. You have serenity. You have bedrock. And there are plenty of trans folks that have that about themselves, but not about the relation with society. Hence lies the issue. This is not about their inherent condition. This is not about them believing there's something they're not. This is not uh, anything like that. This is about familial and societal pressure. The studies show that. The the stats show that. And logic itself bears that out.
0: Good argument. (laughs) I... It's just the truth, like, man. <laughs> it drives
1: me nuts. It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. Man, Jesus. I'm ju- it drives me nuts. So, that's why I don't listen to manship man. Sh- I, hope, I hope that one day he doesn't hear all this stuff. Because, like, I, I, cause I don't mind if it he might help him, actually. Because, like, really, I mean, it just drives me insane, man. It drives me insane. It drives me insane. Because there, there are people who are hurting in this world. People who are trying to find who they are And who are you Regardless of what you think about it To go up to a person When they they have discovered kind of who they are Or kind of who they want to be Or whatever have you And say you know what This is who I say you are This is how the world says you are Therefore you're like that That's not how things work Hmm. And trans folks don't claim their sex They claim their identity Their gender identity and gender and sex are have a sort of a sort of symbiotic relationship only because we it's been superficially connected. They're different. They rely on each other, but they're different. They have different ideas, different meanings, right? So sex is like physical; it's like biological. It does not change. Right. And you have folks in my movie like who said like yes, My sex may be this, but my identity is this. There's a difference.
0: Right. So I mean. But I, I wouldn't say they're completely disconnected. I didn't say that. Because I said
1: I even said they're symbiotic in some ways.
0: Okay, cool. Alright. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay.
1: So do you see my point?
0: No, I do see your point. Okay, I yeah. hope so. I hope it's making sense to you. Yeah, I, I I agree that, you know, I'm sure if if you believe you're some or if you have a very strong conviction as to who you are, then nobody should deny your like you can't deny people's feelings, right? But when it comes to like for example, the the authoritarian kind of... Like, like for example, C-16
1: in Canada. Yeah, in Canada. I made mean, I mean, Peterson famous. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah so I when, think that's wrong. That's wrong. Like, no what, one should be forced but, to say pronouns like that. I agree right, with that
0: I, I think it's it's polite. Right. I think, you know, obviously, if, if I was friends with a person who yes. was, was trans and, and wanted to be addressed a certain way, I would address them that way. I'm not going to be a dick about yes. it like, just for political points or whatever. Yes. But... You know, it's when you put the government gun on people. Yes, exactly. Force them. That's wrong. Compel them to say. That's wrong. That's and that's where that's yeah.
1: That's why I don't like diversity programs. Right. They're trying to cram that idea down people's throats, and unless that person is willing to to engage that kind of kind of ideology and that kind of inclusive inclusive ideology, it's not going to work. You must have willingness to engage before engagement can be effective. Let me repeat that: you must have willingness to engage before engagement can be effective.
0: Right.
1: If you don't have the will behind it, you don't have the way.
0: good thought. I will say we are at an hour thirty four. Okay. Which is not bad. Uh, I gotta pee. Yeah. So let's pause. Let's pause.
1: Yeah. Oh all right. I mean, let's pause. I gotta, do do do. I gotta go to that one, by the
0: way. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so um we're back, but what we're gonna do is actually we're gonna we're gonna stop here and then we're gonna kinda carry on um the next podcast but for those who listen thank you for listening uh this is again a really great opportunity thank you christian for uh, being here and no being problem available at all uh you are an excellent source of information and uh good luck again on your debate uh we are all rooting for you and you know i think you're gonna do a hell of a job so with that being said uh we'll see you guys in the next podcast hasta la vista